guest tonight. He is the host of the Celtics Blog Podcast, lead writer for the Celtics Blog, and host of the Pickin' Pod, the Triple Threat, Adam Taylor. And I'm your host, Larry. December 11th, 3.30 p.m. We are three and a half hours away from the start of the preseason for the 2020-21 NBA season. As we enter, first of all, Adam, thank you for joining the program. Oh, thank you for having me, man. That was probably the best intro I've ever heard when I've been guesting on a show. Oh, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I we always like to make our guests feel really, really appreciated and important. And it's all downhill from here. (laughs) You succeeded in the first part. Let's see if we can uh, slow it going downhill a little bit. Oh, yeah, I could totally make this crash and burn. Um, So uh, you're a Celtics fan. You cover the Celtics. What is just your general feel about this team for this season? I'm optimistic. I feel there's a lot more balance this year than previous years there's going to be a more de- defined hierarchy. The ball's going to find the right guy more often than not because people aren't worrying about touches as much. With Hayward gone, they lose a little bit of talent, but they definitely can now say, right, Tatum, you're unequivocally the number one option. Kemba Walker, you're unequivocally number two, and then we'll have Jalen Brown free. And when you've got a guy like Gordon Hayward, you need to kind of keep that on a rotation so everybody's being being fed, basically, so everybody eats. So I'm a lot more optimistic simply because you know where the ball's going to be during close game situations down the stretch. Would you say like addition by subtraction in a way then with Gordon Hayward? Yeah, it's definitely a talent drop off and right. I'm by no means firing shots at Hayward because I feel that the amount of talent that's walked out the door compared to what's actually came back has been is a huge negative in terms of the Celtics talent-wise actually got worse this offseason. But that kind of narrative of having four guys that can all light you up for 20 every night hasn't worked it's got them to a couple of finals but each time that's happened Haywood hasn't really been on in that rotation he's been injured or he's missed most of the playoffs and came back late so most of the success this team's had has been when it's got three defined guys that are going to have a clear defined role and once Haywood comes back that's where it got kind of muddled up and the team kind of stuttered a bit more so, yeah, I would call it an addition by subtraction, but by no means am I firing shots at Hayward. Yeah, I mean, just, he's definitely talented, and they obviously tried to get something in return with a, with a sign-and-trade, and, trade and um, I guess failed at that. But they do have that now, that huge $29 million uh, trade exception. Yeah, I think it went up to 30. Um, <laughs> either, I mean, either way, we're, we're splitting hairs yeah. in NBA terms when we're talking about a million dollars. To us, that's huge. To them, that's like a drop in the ocean. And in my opinion, that was probably one of the best outcomes you could have. You're not stuck with a player that's kind of a consolation prize. 
you're stuck you you're given this huge um john corrales uh, of um mass live calls it a coupon and i like that way of thinking mm-hmm. you're stuck with this gigantic coupon that you can go and claim a player from during next summer which is what i'd expect you'd wait until free agency next year and then try and swing a sign and trade with another team who star wants out during free agency they get the tpe and you can bring that player's first year salary under that exception so for me it's gave them more choice rather than hey this is the guy you're going to get back because we don't want him no more. I'm looking at you, Evan. Um, sorry, Miles Turner. Evan <laughs> Turner came too, but that's a different story. So yeah, that TP for me was actually one of the better case scenarios. I'm quite happy with the way they managed to swing that. Yeah. They well, when does it expire? So usually it's 12 months. I'm okay. not sure if the league's going to let that run into next November because generally it'd expire if you did that in free agency then it'd expire next summer right mm-hmm. but because of the way the league is at the moment and they're trying you know um technically it'd be next november i could quite easily see something coming into the rules that says hey you need to use this by opening night of next season so i'm not too sure how that's going to work at the moment yeah that definitely makes a lot of sense but as you said like it gives them options and they don't have to decide right now who they want to fill uh gordon hayward's spot yeah, it's a lot more control and it's kind of good that you can use that TP as a facilitating team as well. You know, you take on a bad contract for a guy that's not going to get off your bench, but in return you get a a very nice pick along with it for your troubles. And if Danny Ainge sees someone in, in the upcoming draft that he likes, which is absolutely stacked with talent at the moment, yeah. then he might want to be become a facilitating team for a bigger deal in return for a favorable mid lottery pick. And I could see him doing that as well. But the only downside with that is the Celtics are so strapped for cash anyway, due to so many extensions kind of kicking in. Jalen Brown's kicked in this year. Jason Tatum's kicks in next year. Then at the end of next season, you're going to have Marcus Smart up for renewal. So taking on a big contract. While it sounds great in theory, in practice, that's probably not going to happen because of how hamstrung, hamstrung the Celtics would have been because of it. So, yeah, interesting about like them probably getting another pick or something out of it or that being a possibility. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting with this team because they obviously started, they like started a new timeline as soon as that Garnett-Pierce trade happened seven years ago. And it was all like, we're rebuilding, we're going to gather assets, gather future picks, start developing young talent. And, you know, Tatum and Jalen Brown have developed... They at this point, I don't think they have any more other teams' future firsts, and it's like so that timeline. It feels like this is it's now in the prime of that timeline. It's no more, you know. Obviously, Jalen Brown could continue to improve, and same with Tatum, same with other young guys on their team. But it's like okay, now they're now they're here. This is no longer a team of the future. It's a team of now. Does it kind of feel like that to you? Yeah, so it's you, you are right. They don't really own any future first from any other team at the moment now. I wouldn't say the timeline is right now, but the timeline is looming large. It's got it's a mm. year or two away, in my opinion, just because that's when Jalen Brown should be entering his prime. Jason Tatum will be scratching the surface of what his prime is going to look like at that point. Marcus Smart, should he still be with the team at that juncture, will be well within his prime. Whatever that's going to look like, I don't know. Um so yeah, it's definitely it's on the it's looming now. And what concerns me about that is the rest of the East is continually getting stronger. So you have the Milwaukee books, you have 
the Brooklyn Nets, you have, who else have we got? You've got Brooklyn, you've got Milwaukee, you've got Philadelphia. New York have all of a sudden started making very smart basketball decisions this summer. <laughs> crazy. Which concerns me because of the pulling power that New York has, right? Like they make smart decisions for two or three seasons and now you can actually theoretically go and get yourself one of these big name free agents or swing a big trade. And then you've got another team to contend with. So how good is Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown going to be in three or four years to navigate that tough East that is now becoming a really deep conference itself? But yeah, I'd say two more years and then I'll be looking at this team like, right, these guys are starting to enter their prime. What moves are going to be made and how far can they actually go as a as a tandem? Yeah, so, so when those guys do enter their prime, which is looming, as you said, do you think this team has enough as it is, or do you think they're, they need to make one big move or they're one move away? I think at the moment, what they, what I kind of preach whenever I'm talking about this is patience. There's a bunch of young guys on this roster in Romeo Langford. Now you've got Aaron Neesmith. You've got Robert Williams, Grant Williams that have only been in the league outside of Robert Williams, two years at most, you know, you've got a couple of guys coming in this year. Romeo Langford effectively didn't play last year. He played a bit, but he, in and out of the team due to injury. And then when he did play, he was never able to get a rhythm going. So I'd preach patience for a year or two, unless a huge star comes available that actually fits the way the team plays, the system and complements Tatum and Brown and see what you have and then try and swing a trade if a big name becomes available. But doing it now just to make that trade for me is kind of premature because you still haven't taken stock of the draft picks you've used over the last two, three years and allowed them guys time to develop. And that to me is very important when you're, when you've built for the draft to this point, at least see what you have in the cupboard before you go back out to the supermarket. So you probably would be against a hardened trade if that were on the table. Yeah, I'm completely against the hardened (laughs) trade Um, simply because you've got Jalen Brown would most likely have to be the primary make weight in that deal. And I feel like the timeline between with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown is a lot broader than what it would be if you traded out and brought Harden in because Harden's got those extra years in the league. You don't know how long he's going to, A, want to be in Boston. He could do a year or two and want out again. B, how he's going to fit alongside Jason Tatum as two very ball-dominant scoring threats. And then three, that age means he's going to start deteriorating at some point over the next four or five years, which would be when Brown is really in the peak of his um, prime. So to me, that's kind of, it's backwards, basically. I'd rather just let these two develop, see what else flourishes within your roster. And then there's going to be some of these young guys around the league that are starting to flourish that will be hitting free agency. And I'd be keeping my eyes on the younger cores of teams and watching how they develop and then making runs for those guys when they're, when they're hitting restricted and unrestricted free agency in a few years' time. Yeah, it seems like there's there's going to be a gap over the next maybe two seasons of good free agents, but then... I was looking at this a few days ago, and I think 2024 is when there start to be a good crop of free agents again. Like, uh, I guess Jalen Brown would be one, but Deontay Murray, um, Jokic is there or around there, uh, Sabonis, guys like that. Um, so that could, I guess, line up really well with where the Celtics are. Yeah, and my hope is by not making stupid trades between now and then and continuing to work within the within the system they've got and build that culture of talent development. I notice a lot of these guys that 
move teams during free agency, go to teams that have got a good talent development system because they know that there's never no wasted draft picks. Any young guys they acquire as a make in the deal are going to flourish because of that development system. And for me, Boston has shown they can develop talent because of the, the, the growth of Tatum and Brown and Smart and all of their core, basically excluding Kemba Walker, have come through the draft. So if you can continue to allow those guys to grow and, and stay competitive and be consistent with the systems that you're implementing, your coaching structure, your front office structure, that when the time does come to make a swing at one of these big free agents, there's already going to be interest because they'll be like, hey, they are a piece away and they believe I'm that piece and I feel like I could be that piece. And that's where I think that big deal will happen. And that's when I think that you'll really be talking about Boston as like unequivocal contenders. Yeah, I, 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 I think that's a good approach. Like I'm a Knicks fan and, you know, a year ago, they, they obviously failed because they wanted to get KD and Kyrie. But once the uh, Achilles injury happened, I was, I didn't want to see that happen and was kind of relieved that it didn't because I feel like there's, especially in this league, every year there's a new all-star level player who's available in a trade or, you know, soon will be a free agent or something. So you have, you could pick and choose your spot to take that big swing. Yeah. And I think picking and choosing your spots is much better than kind of throwing a bunch of darts and seeing what sticks. Yeah. Like, there's teams out there that this makes sense for, especially in this James Harden sweepstakes. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at Miami, Miami have very obviously been building towards the Giannis free agency of next off season. But in my opinion, if they're, if they have been honest with themselves and they realize that at best, they have a 33% chance of landing Giannis, like greatest best odds. I'd put it as one in three, mm-hmm. but you've got, a 95% chance of swinging a deal based around Tyler Hero to go and land James Harden. Well, then you should go for James Harden because that is almost a surefire deal. You could keep this cap space and flexibility and then strike out on Giannis. And now Harden's off in Philadelphia lighting it up and you're really going to struggle with this core that you've kind of constructed. So sometimes it's best to move and sometimes it's best to sit back and let the moves happen around you. And I think for Boston, it's the last, um, it's the latter. Yeah. No, for Boston, they should sit and let everything happen. But for teams like Miami that have that flexibility with unrealistic goals, they should be looking to swing for defenses now. Hmm. Yeah. And then there are teams like Milwaukee, which they have to swing for the fences now because this may be the last year of Giannis on the team. And I guess poor Milwaukee with that Bogdanovich stuff. They, you know, they, now they, now they've traded all their picks for, for Drew Holiday. And I don't even think, like, they, I know they're listed as a James Harden possible destination spot, but I don't see how they do that. From all reports, it'd have to center around Chris Middleton and some future Milwaukee picks. But how valuable are those Milwaukee picks? If you put James Harden along with Drew Holiday and Giannis, and then you say, here's a few picks for two, three years' time, those are late first round picks at best. Like that doesn't make sense to me as much as being like um going to Philadelphia and saying you can have James Harden, but we want Ben Simmons. And that's a, a legitimate building block coming over to your team straight away that you don't have to worry about acclimating him to the league and acclimating him to being a professional athlete. He's young enough that he's still going to develop and he's going to be an all-star for many years and you're staying competitive straight away. So it, Again, it's what you're giving out versus what's coming in. Um, I don't see Milwaukee myself personally as a huge 
um, a, a favored horse in that race for Harden. Yeah, I mean, Philly, that Simmons, Simmons for Harden trade makes the most sense. And yeah, they, as you said, they'd be great right away, right away with Simmons and um, and uh, Christian Wood. I think that's like a decent, decent combo. And um, yeah, I would love to build a team around Simmons. It's just, it's, it's so clear like what his skills are, and you just surround him with shooters. Maybe not easy to do, but clear that that's like what you got to plan for. And he's like, he's a top guy. I would love to build a team around. Yeah, as much as I hate to admit it because he's a, <laughs> he's a Sixers guy, um, outside of that three-point shot, he's almost unplayable. He's a, one of the best defensive, air quotes, guards in the league, but he's also one of the best defenders in the league, period. Uh, phenomenal getting downhill, amazing in transition, and can, make, and can light you up in the half court with his playmaking. So I feel like he'd be a great fit. I still think Houston would suck this year because they'd need to kind of rejig their roster next year to, as you say, fit shooting around him and open that floor up so that when he drives, he's got the space necessary to create off the dribble or score or score around the rim. And then if you can talk him into actually trying to shoot freeze, then he becomes almost unguardable. Yeah. I mean, that'd be a team that would do it. I guess though, Philly could possibly do it now with, um, with Maury in charge and probably instituting some Maury ball kind of things going on there. I mean, you'd hope so. I feel like that's, I know everybody, like especially on social media, gives him a ton of abuse <laughs> surrounding that lack of three-point shooting. But it's so obvious that that one addition to his skill set would make him oh, a yeah. top three player in the league almost instantly that I really question why he just doesn't deal with the misses, deal with the bricks for a few seasons until he figures it out. Because when he does that's going to cement him as one of the, the best players in the league and definitely put him in contention for multiple rings before it's all said and done. Yeah, because he's with his defense and his playmaking, he's already like a top 15 player. So you add threes to that. He's, yeah, I think he's an MVP contender immediately. Yeah, because you have to close out on him at that point and he's so strong mm -hmm. and fast that as you're closing out, he'll attack the closeout and just have open lanes to the hoop all day. And then if the weak side rotates over, he's got the he can kick it out or swing it out to the corners. He'll just be a complete offensive threat. And his defense as well means that you have to respect him as a top three candidate at that point. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about some of the, the younger guys on the Celtics who, you know, aren't the heralded stars like you started to mention. So I'll go through them. I guess Romeo Lankford. How do you feel about him? Honestly, I'm... I'm higher on Romeo than a lot of people, and I catch a lot of um, mm -hmm. a lot of blowback because I'm kind of like, nope, Romeo has to stay. Uh, <laughs> well, Danny Ainge like, seems to feel that way too. Yeah, he does, and uh, I'm kind of like, I'm on the same train of thought. I was very fortunate a few months back to have a conversation with Hayward before Hayward left, and we um we had a discussion surrounding Romeo at the time, and he, even Hayward was like, Romeo hasn't Romeo hasn't been seen as Romeo in the league yet. You know, this guy was Mr. Indiana for basketball like two years ago. Indiana, for me, um, even over in Europe, when I'm thinking of a basketball mecca, Indiana is the number one name that comes to my mind. The way I describe it is basketball to people in Indiana is like football to people in Texas, right? It's just ubiquitous. Yeah. So, like, um, if he can do that on multiple levels through high school and then into college, and then he comes to the league. He's not going to lay an egg. He's not going to forget how to be this slasher that he is. I could understand his jump shooting struggling, but scoring around the rim on reverses and 
coming off screens to do some nice little playmaking there. I feel like we haven't seen that from him because he come into the league injured. Then he had to relearn how to shoot. Then he started getting game time and boom, got injured again. Now you're in the G League. Then when you're starting to get fitness in the G League, now you're injured again. So you need to give him a year of like solid rotation minutes to see what he is and how he develops before writing him off. And this is the problem. I feel like if you suck in your rookie year, people just assume that you're trash and then they don't, they don't want to hear about you again. And I'm like, dude, these guys are like 18 years old and give them time to develop. Right. So I'm really high on Romeo. I think he's going to have a long career and hopefully he'll be able to produce off the bench for Boston. Yeah. I would, I would like to see teams use the G league even more than they do now for development. So you're a New York fan, right? Yeah, sure. So, um, that you got Darren Ehrman from Maine the other day as an assistant coach. He was the Red Claws head coach last year. He's oh, a super okay. cool guy. Yeah. Um, he joined uh, Tom Thibodeau's staff as an assistant coach. Um, he was coaching Romeo Langford, Carson Edwards, all those guys last season. Um, he's got quite a good record of player development as well. So you guys have picked him up and he's definitely going to be a good addition to your coaching staff. Oh, awesome. Okay. Happy to hear that. Uh, actually, Carson Edwards, you just mentioned, he's still with the team, right? Yeah, so I'm going to sound like a hypocrite now because I'm like, don't judge guys after their rookie season. For Carson, it's a little bit different. He doesn't have the size that Romeo has, doesn't have the playmaking ability that Romeo projects to have and is never going to be much of an interior scoring threat because he just, again, doesn't have the size, doesn't have the physicality. He'll be able to hit you off slashes if if he's playing off ball and gets hit with a nice dime, but he's predominant skill set is to score from range and hit freeze. He was unable to do that last year. And I'm not sure whether the March Madness run was the anomaly (laughs) and that, you know, he got drafted high because of that March Madness run. Now, if that run was the anomaly, which when you look at the rest of his collegiate stats, looks like it was the anomaly, then maybe he was never an NBA level scoring threat to begin with. And he just kind of blew up for a few. I mean, everybody has it, right? Have you ever played rec league and had like a week or two where you're just like, dude, I cannot miss. And then everything kind of balances out again. And you're like, oh yeah, it's rec league and I'm trash. It was just a hot streak. (laughs) So I don't know whether that he just, or the chips just fell right for him. I still feel like he could definitely be some form of scoring threat in the league, but not on a contender at this point. I'd much rather him be on a team like, Orlando coming off the bench as a primary spark plug for them and getting 12 to 16 minutes a night and being allowed to shoot through the mistakes. Whereas in Boston, if you make two or three mistakes, you have to start riding the bench again because there's different levels of aspirations. Yeah, that I mean, that March Madness run was pretty epic, especially that game against Virginia where they lost, but he was just making everything. Yeah, he didn't miss, dude. But again, was it the hot streak? <laughs> was that signs of what he's capable of once he gets used to playing in the NBA. I mean, I went back and watched every jump shot he took this year, which mm-hmm. wasn't many. So it only took me like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> but the, what I got was a lot of his shots front rimmed out, depending on where on the court you take them, you just class the front as directly in front of your eye line. Uh, that generally pro- um, projects as a lack of strength, a, la- a lack of power in your shot, or that your legs are weak because you're playing at hundred percent all the time. So maybe if he can, strengthen those legs which i don't know how because those thighs are ridiculously jacked already but if you can gain some extra strength or improve your conditioning depending on which of the two issues were causing those shots to fall short 
Maybe we can see him become a 35, 36% shooter for off the bench, at which point there's a role for him in the league. I'm just not sold on that at the moment, but I still hold a slight bit of optimism for it. Uh, Time Lord, Robert Williams, which is such a great nickname. Yeah, it's my favorite nickname in the league, to be honest. I like Robert Williams. I feel like um, a lot of people sleep on his upside as a facilitator. Um, out of the short role to begin last season, he was showing a lot of um, nice passes, smart reads, hitting guys in the corners, hitting guys cutting baseline. That that short role facilitation is what will escalate him towards a starting caliber big. His defensive reads, his rotations, his ability to not jump at every pump fake, which is so annoying. I call it pogo stick defense, and a lot of rookie bigs generally have that, and that's something that needs to be trained out of them. If he can learn to stay stay on his feet and just use his athleticism to stay in front of guys, contest shots, de- expand on his short roll passing as well as develop a mid-range jumper because once that mid-range is set, now you can start slowly pulling that further and further towards the three-point line and then you become like a complete modern-day big. So I definitely think there's a lot of room for growth and there's a, quite a high ceiling on him. But then it comes down to attitude, application, and most importantly, it comes down to opportunity. If he's going to get the, the floor time to actually be able to implement what he's doing in training camp and during the offseason to allow that growth to actually happen. And that's the biggest question surrounding Time Lord at the moment is minutes and opportunity. And then I guess he'll be competing for some minutes with the other Williams, Grant Williams. Yeah, the board game kind of saw. I like Grant Williams. Um, oh, is he? I didn't know that. <laughs> Oh, dude, every press conference he does, he takes it away from basketball straight into board games. Every, any chance he gets, he wants to talk about Catan or uh-huh. chess or Cluedo. And it's like, dude, I just want to hear about how you're developing as a ball player. I don't care who's winning in the locker room at a game of Catan because I don't understand what Catan is, really. I've played it once in my life. So, yeah, so like, um, I feel like he's got the highest IQ out of all the young guys on the Celtics roster probably the smartest defensive player they've got as well in terms of these young guys, first, second, third year guys started to show that he can stretch the floor from the corners in the playoffs after struggling throughout the regular season. I think Grant Williams is going to be a 10 to 15 year role player in the league. Uh, Probably spend most of it with contenders due to that defensive IQ and due to the fact that he's so reliable, but I don't think he's ever going to be an all-star. I don't see him ever making an all-star appearance. I just see him being a very reliable guy that when you pick him up, when he's a veteran and you pick him up, you know that that team's picked him up because they've got championship aspirations. Similar to how you look at teams that pick up um, Iguodola at the moment. You know, mm-hmm. oh, they picked up Iggy because they want to be a, they want to be a tougher team to beat in the playoffs. They haven't got the regular season in mind right now. So um, I'm high on Grant, but I'm very realistic on where his ceiling's at. All right, so we have another guest coming to us from Boston, Massachusetts. Um, he's on the phone. Mr. Guest, sir, would you please introduce yourself? Hey, Larry, how's it going, man? Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, my name's Jack, uh, big Boston fan. Adam, big fan, obviously. Uh, I was just calling in because, uh, as you know, uh, Lucky uh, is the the, uh, the Celtics mascot. Right. And I think it's kind of time for him to go. He's a little stale. You know, I think it's time for an upstart, start fresh, 
let's get some new blood in there on the court. So I have a few ideas. I like to pitch and see, you know, bounce them off you and your guests and see like what everybody thinks. Yeah, absolutely. For me to be the new, the new uh, mascot of the Celtics. Oh, wait, wait, wait. It, it would be you who'd be the new mascot. Well, yeah. I mean, like they're my ideas. I'm limber. I can, <laughs> you know, I can do it. I, you know, I just would, I would hope it would be me. Okay. Larry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So my first idea is Duncan, the Duncan, Duncan donut. So basically, oh, Duncan, this one, the dunking Dunkin' Donut. Yeah. Okay. So if I'm yeah, spelling, I mean, I had, what's that? So if I'm spelling this correctly, it's like D U N C A N, the D U N K I N G, D U N K I N apostrophe donut. Yes. Nice. Okay. So Duncan, the Duncan. Dunkin' Dunkin' Donut. I've actually had this idea for years. It used to be Dunkin' the Dunkin' Dunkin' Donuts Donut, but they changed <laughs> the name to just Dunkin'. So I, I had to adjust. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's how life works. But uh, I guess like, my gimmick for that one would be that I would just be uh, just trying my best to get up and, and throw down a Boston cream in the in the net at halftime. Uh, and, you know, I'm not as spry as I once was, but I would try my, you know, I try my very best. Yeah. So, so are, are you going to actually be dunking donuts through the rim? I would try. Okay. Yeah. Like I said, my, <laughs> that you know, could be a good game. Line. Yeah. To watch you try to dunk. Yeah. I, you know, I'm in my thirties, so my explosiveness has gone down a little bit, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I try for the, for the, for the 20,000 strong at, at TD garden. I mean, if anyone follows me on Twitter, they know I'm a huge fan of Dunkin' Donuts. So I endorse this move completely. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. All right, I got a few. I've got a few more here. I just want to get some notes for myself. Uh, the next one is Shushy, the uh, Boston Public Library librarian. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you know, basically, I would kind of just I'd have a full costume of uh, like an older gentleman with you know glasses at the, at the rim of his nose and and kind of just walk around shushing everybody because <laughs> reading is important and uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, with, with mas- mascots are generally for kids, so giving a good message like reading. Of course. Yeah. I don't, I, my concern with that, uh, I haven't seen it, so I don't know. But it's just like it's a, it's an arena. You want that rowdy sports fan atmosphere going on. Mm-hmm. It's like shushing people. Is You want them to make some noise, right? That's the true. The way to make That's someone rowdy is to shush them. Yeah. If you shush me, I'm rowdy. So the way to make people rowdy is to actually shush them. Exactly, exactly. Like when I'm in a game and they have sort of like the applause meter, like make some noise. I'm like, all right, I'm, ugh, you know, I kind of feel, you know, patronized. But if I'm at the, at the, at the, at the court and I'm like, you know, shush it down, we'll have like a quiet meter. Everyone's going to be like, who is this, you know, who is this goon? And then they're going to get excited <laughs> for the game. Not, okay. So, so I see the two of you are on the same page about what the, 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 the Tom Sawyer effect, if you will, of shushing. Oh, of course. Uh, all right, I got a couple more here for you. Uh, one of them is the big green monster from Fenway. Uh, pretty simple because you know what, you know nothing screams basketball more than baseball. <laughs> right. I mean, but, um, so is this going to be a green monster or is this going to be like a a plush wall? I'm, I'm going to be wearing a two scale model of the green, <laughs> the big green monster from Fenway. Yeah, it's going to be hard to get on and off, but I think you know we'll get it. Yeah, I think that I mean, the fans are going to love it. Adam, what do you think about the green monster as a mascot? Don't watch much baseball, so I'm not too sure who this monster is, but it's green so I can understand why it works. Uh, Again, I'm going to endorse this move, but I'm still putting 
Duncan, the Dunking, Dunking Donut as the number one mascot at the moment. Yeah, we got. Yeah, I think that's in the lead. So, a- yeah. Adam, do you actually not know what the Green Monster is? I genuinely don't. I sp- I focus all my time on the Celtics. Yeah. Um, we don't really get much baseball coverage here, and when we do, it's like three a.m. and the game is far too long to start watching at three a.m. Yeah, I don't know why they're three a.m. because they're finished by that point usually. I don't know, but no, I don't have a clue. So it is uh, the left field wall in the in Fenway Park. It's just a really tall wall, so you have to hit it pretty high to get a home run over it, and they call that wall the Green Monster. So this would just be like a, a anthropomorphic wall. Okay, so it's basically Taco Fall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that okay, yeah, could be a great halftime. That would be fun if, like, you know, we have to see Taco Fall jump over the Green Monster or something between the two of you. Oh, yeah. You could, like, dunk out, dunk over me before the games. I like it. I like yeah. that. Yeah. That's good. I'm taking notes. Nice. Nice. All right. Well, I mean, I think Dunkin' the Dunkin' Dunkin' Donuts pretty good. I, I you know, I, I did actually have uh, Senator Warren uh, as, as an idea for the mascot. Uh, but, you know, I think she actually... Uh, her old alma mater of Houston has sort of already commandeered that idea and they're now known as the Houston Lizzie's. So I can't really do that one. I didn't know that they, they changed yeah. their name to the Houston Lizzie's. Yeah. That was a today thing. So I, you know, I, uh, I came oh, man, I missed it. And, well, yeah. You know, I, I, I really, my question is, yeah. have you tweeted at Dunkin Donuts about this? Cause they're super responsive online. No, I have not. No, I really have not. Uh, that's a good idea though. Yeah, I'll take- do it for you right after this. Drop me your Twitter handle. I'll tag you in it and I'll tweet at them right as soon as this episode's done because I want this to happen. Oh, Even yeah. if it's just for Perfect. one game. I, I need oh. to see this. Perfect. Thanks, Adam. Ugh. All right, Lair. Well, that's my that's all my ideas for the, the mascots. I did have another question if, if Adam's got time. Yeah, please. Well, of course, man. Whatever you want. All right. So are you familiar with the, the, the undercard fight for the Tyson uh, bout a few weeks ago with uh, Jake, Paul, and... Uh, and uh, Nate Robinson. I'm familiar with that fight, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, you know, Jake Paul beat the crap out of, of Nate Robinson. Now, I'm just wondering, uh, are there any people on the current Celtics roster, because, you know, Nate Robinson was a Celtics fan favorite when he was on the team. Uh, are you think there are any people on the roster that Jake, uh, Jake Paul could beat the crap out of? Or... Uh, in <laughs> yeah, verse- I think there's a few. Do you think that there are a few candidates that you think could beat the crap out of Jake Paul? Okay, so I think there's a few that Jake Paul could beat the crap out of. I'm looking at Carson Edwards, Tremont Waters, Romeo Langford. Who else could he beat up? That's probably, I mean, maybe Aaron Neesmith because he's quite thin at the moment. I feel like that would change as he starts to fill out. Uh, maybe Peyton Pritchard again because of the size difference. These guys are going to have to be Mike Tyson, bobbing and weaving, show um, peekaboo boxing to get anywhere near him. And then guys that could whoop Jake Paul's ass, uh, Marcus Smart, number one. Oh, yeah. Um, Tristan Thompson, number two. I feel like Tristan Thompson will put him in a body bag in seconds. Uh, <laughs> I feel like Grant Williams is going to be able to pack a real big punch because of how stuck he is. So I think Grant Williams... I'm not saying Jason Tatum because if anyone swings on Jason Tatum, I'm swinging on them. So I don't want to put him in there and then have to fight <laughs> Jake Paul myself. Um, I think Jalen Brown's got hands. The amount of boxing he does with his grandpa and stuff, I think he's got some hands on him. So I think he'd be able to whoop Jake Paul's ass as well. Perfect. Thanks. That's great. Last question. Uh, Coach Stevens, beat up by Jake Paul or beats up Jake Paul? <laughs> 
Have you ever seen the old um, Sherlock Holmes movies with um, Robert Downey Jr.? Yes. And yeah. you know the, the first one where he's in that pit fight and he's getting his ass whooped and then he just has enough and he calculates this entire sequence of um, basically MMA moves to write, to wipe that guy out. Do, do you know the scene I'm talking about? Yeah, he has sort of like a, ch- like a you know chess match moment where he's planning all this stuff. Yeah, out. I yeah. feel yeah. like that would be exactly what happened between Brad Stevens and Jake Paul. The first four or five rounds, Stevens going to look like he's coming out of a Rocky movie. His eyes half done, his jaws swinging because it's been disliked. And then he's just going to have this come to Jesus moment and just let out this amazing, like uppercut, left hook, right hand, uppercut, right hook, left straight. And then Jake Paul's just going to be on the floor wondering what's happened. And I'm sticking with that. I feel like it's going to be a Sherlock Holmes moment. Oh, I love it, man. I'd pay the I'd pay the pay-per-view rate for that alone. Yeah, I think I would too. And yeah, to see him use his minds to to just knock out Jake Paul. That'd be that'd be that'd be a great halftime show. True story. I didn't know who Jake Paul was until he knocked out Nate Robinson. It's a, it's a way to make a name for yourself for sure. I knew who his brother was uh from you know, years of YouTubery, but I didn't know that his <laughs> brother was popular. So there we go. Right. He's riding the coattails, man. Riding the coattails at its finest. <laughs> um, so while while you're still here, Jack, and I'll ask you too, Adam. Um, sorry, you, Jack. Do you have predictions for this year's in the NBA MVP, Rookie of the Year, and Defensive Player of the Year? Ooh, it's going to be good. Uh, I think for Rookie of the Year, I think the the new. Uh, I think the number seven pick out of from the Detroit Pistons, Killian Hayes. I think he's going to be. Uh, I think he's going to be, you know, sort of a surprise pick, but I think he's going to have a really phenomenal year and have a great opportunity uh, with the Pistons. You know, I think he's going to be starting over Derrick Rose. So I think he's going to have, you know, a great opportunity and, you know, he played overseas. So I think he's going to be a little more polished than some of the other, the other, the other guys coming into the league. And uh, defensive player of the year. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to stick with the Detroit Pistons and go Jeremy Grant. I mean, that's a that's a tough, hard-nosed player who, you know, is only going to have more opportunity in Detroit to showcase his skill set. Uh, I think he was, you know, one of the marquee defensive players last year with the with the Nuggets, so uh, especially in the playoffs. So we'll, we'll see how it goes when he gets a little more playing time. Did I miss one? Yeah, MVP. MVP, as it should be every year, LeBron James. Okay. So two Pistons and a Laker. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like the uh, 04 finals. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Adam, who are your predictions? Uh, rookie of the year, I'm going to take. I'm going to take Obi Toppin just because. Yeah. I, I was on his um media availability when he was before he was drafted. So when he was just his media interviews, and uh, he was just such a down to earth guy, so genuine. You can tell he works his ass off every day. And then the reaction he had when he actually got drafted by New York and what that means to him. I feel like he's really going to show out this year because he seems like he's going to take pride in representing New York. So um, I've got Obi Toppin as rookie of the year, defensive player of the year. I'm going to go with, I feel like for some reason, I've just got a feeling it's going to be AD. Mm-hmm. Um, AD for def- And I hate the idea of any Laker winning any award ever. So uh, because of that, I'm not going to choose LeBron as MVP, even though he's the most likely candidate. And I want to go with Luka Doncic. I feel like if he shows another jump, the same as he did in year two, if he takes a similar jump in year three, he's going to be 
knocking on that MVP door this year, this season coming and every season for the next 10 to 12 years. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, especially if Dallas is like a top four seed or if they just make the playoffs with Chris Stapps being injured most of the year. Chris Stapps is injured most of every year. <laughs> yeah, so so Luca MVP. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Chris Stapps is another guy that would get knocked out by Jake Paul. Ooh. Yes, I he would, got, as a Knicks fan. In Lithuania. Last, last, was it last year or the year before he got his ass whooped outside a club in Lithuania? Uh, or in Latvia. Latvia, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think it was last offseason. That's how we know he can't, he, he's got no hands. Right. Because you're a professional athlete and you're getting your ass whooped by a drunk guy in a club. So we put him in a ring with a guy that apparently knows how to knock out athletes. Uh, Chris Stapps Paul Zingas is going to sleep in the second round. I think me and every other Knicks fan would pay to see that. Um, as as for me, I'll I'll go with as of right now. I'll say Obi Toppin, Rookie of the Year, um, Defensive Player of the Year. I think I'll also go with AD, but I I would love to see Marcus Smart get it. I think he'll he'll have a chance to compete for that. And MVP, uh, I'll go with Jokic. I like Jokic a ton. If Marcus Smart can win Defensive Player of the Year, that means he stopped taking 16 shots a night, which <laughs> means I'm going to be one of the happiest guys in covering the Celtics for the next year. So uh, I'm very happy with those decisions. Nice, nice. Um, all right, uh, Adam, do you want to tell people where they could find your stuff? Sure, man. Um, you can find me at Celtics Blog on SB Nation. I'm one of the lead writers over there and also host their podcast on a Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. If you're listening to this and you're a New York fan, then you can catch myself and Jonathan Macri on the Pick and Pod podcast for Talk Basket. That's released once a week. You, if you're a gambling person, you can catch me over at Unibet, where I drop um, weekly NBA tips, where you're going to find the most value, who you, what players are going to have a good week, what players are going to suck. And then I've got a YouTube channel launching next week, which um, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll find that too. So I'm pretty much everywhere at the moment. Nice. So more than a triple threat. It's like a... Like a sextet threat or something. It's like a no sleep ever threat. That's what it is. <laughs> Got it. Especially with the time zone difference. Yeah, I operate on Eastern time at this point. Uh, Jack, anything you'd like to plug? Uh, sure. I. Um, <laughs> you don't have to, but if you want to. Yeah. Hey, who's? I need some followers. So I don't tweet a lot, but uh, at Jack Rokicki. Uh, it's R-O-K-I-C-K-I. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram. I'll, I, uh, I post some pictures of, of myself every now and then at Jack Rokick me, R-O-K-I-C-K me. And uh, I do perform in uh, Shot for Shot in New York City. Uh, it's Shot, number four Shot. Uh, it's uh, online for now, live once we open back up. But uh, it's your favorite movies uh, with a bunch of improvising and, and drinking thrown in. It's a lot of fun. So uh, if you want to check it out, go on Facebook, give us a like, and uh, you'll be able to sign up for shows. Very and just nice. so people know, is your Twitter profile the one with the bio that says under construction? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I've hit follow. So everybody else listening should do the same. Yes. Perfect. Very nice. Thank you. I, of course, am at Larry the Athlete on all social media, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Bumble. You could subscribe to Larry No Sports wherever you listen to podcasts. May all your dreams be hoop dreams and may the rest of your days be days of thunder. Thank you.